Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc slash soap. Hallelujah. Uh, man, we are so excited for our Easter and Good Friday coming up. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so good. Um, you won't want to miss that uh, as we come and celebrate and just praise God for what he has done for us. Um, and we're going to be diving into even more of that as we continue on in this Holy Week. I hope you all are having a great Thursday morning so far. Um, and uh, we're going to be diving into, if you haven't already gotten there, uh, we're in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to take out uh, the portions uh, between uh, verses 26 all the way uh, to 49, 26 to 49. Um, and we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit, um, I, you know, just kind of looking around the next couple of days, we're really going to be diving into John and stuff, but there's some you know, what, what is Luke talking about? What is also, I'm going to bounce over to, uh, to Mark a little bit today. Uh, and then there's also a lot of other context stuff that we're going to see, um, in this portion of the crucifixion of Christ, uh, and his death. And so, uh, let's first pray, let's get into it. Uh, and let's see what God has for us this morning, uh, during this Thursday, Holy Week. Uh, Lord, we just, Lord, we just come to you right now. We just thank you. Lord, as we wake up this morning, um, maybe we have coffee in hand. Maybe we're on our way to work. Maybe maybe we're already at work. Maybe we worked all night or whatever it is, wherever we are at. Um, or we just come to you with our open hearts and our open minds this morning. Lord, we just want to hear from you. We want to hear your word. As we're in this Holy Week and we're coming closer to Easter, may may this not just be a holiday that we uh, focus on just treating the kids with candy and eggs and all these other kinds of things. May we really understand the, the depth of what we're celebrating. May we not lose the fact or the, uh, the awesomeness, basically, of our salvation through you. Or may we not uh, just go by this Easter and and not take time to be reverent in who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, so we just come to you this morning wanting to hear from you. Uh, we just praise your name. I lift myself up to you. I surrender myself to you as uh, we do this message. Lord, teach me as well as among everyone else listening, and that's on right now. Lord, we just thank you and we love you and we pray all this in your precious name. Amen and amen. All right. Hey, uh, real quick, just um, so this we have Good Friday tomorrow. Good Friday tomorrow. Um, 
And that's, uh, I want to remind everyone that is a separate Sunday. That is a separate message in that service for Good Friday than what Saturday and Sunday's uh, Easter services will be. Um, and so if, if you can definitely make it out for Good Friday, uh, it's going to be a, a, an awesome time. Um, but one of the things I want to really kind of hit on, we'll we'll talk about some stuff in here a little bit. Um, but that why is Good Friday good? It's because it's true. It's not, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't like um, some cool, interesting story that, that just helps us out in our daily life. But it, is it, is it true? Is Jesus a real person? Did he, did he truly get nailed to a cross? Is this reliable? Is this real? And yes, it is. And we have plenty of evidence for our faith. And we're going to read about a couple of things in here that just sound uh, pretty amazing and, and wild. Um, there are little nuggets within this portion here. And, uh, and one of them is uh, that, you know, the, the, um, the light was basically gone out of the middle of the day for close to like three hours. And we'll talk about all that. But I, I want you to understand and really get to this mind that this really happened. Um, this is actually very, very historically uh, accurate. And it's, and it's real. We don't have anything more reliable in ancient history than this. We don't. And, and, and if you want to challenge that, we have plenty of resources to show you how amazingly accurate and amazingly factual this is compared to anything else. Um, and definitely, specifically, who Jesus is in the death burial and resurrection of Christ. And so let's start reading as I'm jumping into um, verse 26 here in Luke 23. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from um, Syria, that's a town in uh, northern Africa, by the way, uh, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have not never that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the trees are green, what will happen when it is dry? <clears throat> we'll dive into that a little bit. Uh, two others. Uh, both criminals, uh, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they, na they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He, 
He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you have come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44, by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the uh, curtain of the sanctuary for the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came uh, to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. The word of the Lord. We see uh, a couple of different things through here, and we see ultimately in, in this, and then if um, I'm going to read a little bit out of uh, Mark as well during the crucifixion uh, portion, and this is in Mark 15, um, verse 33, and at noon darkness fell uh, across the whole land until about three o'clock, uh, then at three o'clock Jesus called out with a loud voice, Elio, Elio, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought that he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him uh, on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered, Another loud cry and breathes his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James uh, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. And of course, we see a few differences, but primarily uh, everything is very much the same. Um, 
And we see that Jesus throughout this whole time is still teaching us. Everything that he's talking about and everything that he's actually saying is just pointing back to the Old Testament. It's pointing back to Psalms. It's pointing back to what's going on. Uh, or he's also prophesying. When he's talking to the women as he's uh, on the way to uh, Golgotha or otherwise the place of the skull. And that's also where we get in the name Calvary. Calvary actually is the uh, English version of the Greek form of just saying the, the hill of the skull. Um, it's not a uh, it's not a military uh, type thing. We hear it like, uh, you know, charge the Calvary. It's not that. Uh, that's where Calvary, when you hear of a lot of churches say uh, up on Calvary, that's what it's saying. Um, here, when he's on his way, and the women, the grief-stricken women, but Jesus turns to them and says, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, and goes through all of that. He, what he is, he's prophesying basically two things. This is a parallel of one, how it will feel and be like two uh, the people that live in Jerusalem when Rome sacks Jerusalem basically in 70 AD and tears the temple down. And I like how uh, painful and woeful it will be and, and so much so that you like you don't want to witness it. And that's why he says it'll, it'll almost be better if you never bore children so that they would never have to grow up in a world without the temple, without Jerusalem because of how much they love it. And it gets to this point, and I love this last line that he says, for if these things are done with the tree, with when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? What he's ultimately saying is like the tree is green. When the tree is green and good to go, it's full of life. It is ready to bear fruit. It is worthwhile and it's prosperous and it's doing the thing it's supposed to be doing, what it's designed to do. It is green and ready to go. It is in good standing. It's doing what God has designed it to do. It's in the will of the Father. But what will happen when it is dry, when it's not able to bear fruit, when it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, when it's not um, it's not alive, it's dead, it's a dead heart, it's worthless to anybody. It's not going to continuously bear fruit for anything because it's dry and dead. It's not within the will of the Father. It's in these two uh, parallels in uh <laughs> Look, my man is beaten to a pulp at this point. My man has just gone through so much already just to even get down the street. He's barely, he hasn't even made it to the cross. And this guy is hanging on for dear life to live at this point. Just with what he's gone through with the scourging and everything else. And he's still prophesying. He's still teaching us. He's still showing us what is to come and what's happening. So how is this going to be good for those that are uh, in doing the right thing, that those that are, quote unquote, righteous, how bad do you think it's going to be for those that are guilty of their sin, that are guilty of being dry rotted and are guilty of all this how bad do you think it's going to get 
and then he continues on and uh, then it talks about them putting him on the cross and two others are next to him. And this is such a pair. This is such a great physical, real parallel of exactly what it is, what this is all about, what Jesus came to do and what the cross stands for. It is that dividing line of one. They're both sinners. They're both making mistakes. They both like really messed up in life, worthy of the cross themselves, worthy of crucifixion, worthy of the punishment of death because of their sin. But one recognizes who Jesus is. One says specifically, don't you fear God when even when you have been sentenced to die? Don't you fear God when you know you've sinned? Don't you fear God when you know you've done wrong and made mistakes? Not just like little mistakes. I'm saying like, like, oh my gosh, I've messed up. Don't you understand? Don't you have any fear of God? This other man is literally, think about it. All of these people, they're mocking him. They're literally nailing him to the cross. I was thinking about this. Th these are Roman soldiers that are nailing him to him. These are most likely two other Jewish men that are sentenced to die, these criminals. And I don't know. They could have not been Jewish, but out of the percentage of population, most likely they were. And they're right there. They're looking at Jesus. They're able to even touch and unfortunately even spitting on him. They're that physically close to Jesus, but yet they are so far from him. Yes, we handle at church, we handle those that are far from Jesus, that are walking in the doors that are just, we call them unchurched, they don't know, they're, they had zero understanding. And that's basically what the Romans were, what these Roman soldiers that are nailing him to the cross and uh, he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they are unchurched. Father, forgive them, for they are un back then they're untempled, right? They uh, they do not know what they are doing. They do not know the truth of who you are. They do not know your real laws and your real way. They are so far from you, Father. Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing they don't know but they're right there this is like that one crazy idea of they're so far from jesus yet they're touching him they're so far from jesus yet they are touching him by nailing him to the cross by spitting on him by scoffing at him, by tormenting him and trying to humiliate him. If you are the Messiah, come on, save yourself and save us. You said you're so great. You said you're so loved by God. You said you're, you're the chosen one. Come on. What are you doing?
Jesus doesn't even answer any of that. Yet to the man that says, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's ultimately right there. That's that's the, if you will, if you wanted to say that where is the sinner's prayer, there it is. That's ultimately the sinner's prayer. Lord, will you, I'm, I am the criminal. I deserve to die for my crimes. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. Forgive me. But you have done nothing wrong, yet you are on the cross for my, my crime, my sin. You are doing this. So, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. This man had didn't even get to be baptized. This man didn't even get to um, offer a sacrifice at the temple. This man didn't get to uh, go to Easter service. This this guy was actually at it, right? This guy, he what did he get to do? He got nothing. He did nothing along the, the list of our checkboxes of religiosity of what to do. The only thing he did is recognize the truth of who Jesus is and says, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus, of course, turns to him and says, I assure you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Guess what? He didn't even soap. That guy didn't even get to be on soap at all. He didn't get up at six in the morning and hang out with us. But that's the whole it. These are all nice things. We get to do all these nice things. We get to have a deeper relationship in our life with him. We get to um, uh, learn more about him. We get to sit here and and study the scripture and and have a deeper part. But this is ultimately the the crux of it all, the 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 101 the basics the in the most powerful thing right here is do you recognize your sin that you deserve to be on that cross dying for the crimes in which you did but he recognizes that Jesus did nothing wrong Jesus is innocent Jesus is God Jesus is the one that has the kingdom and that he will go and reign in his kingdom forevermore and he is saying Jesus remember me when you come into my kingdom kingdom and he says i assure you today you will be with me in paradise this is the essence of salvation do we have this do we or do we take it for granted or do we sit here and uh we we Talk to forgive them for they know not what they're doing. The unchurched people, they're they're not on soap. They're not uh, in a connect group. They're not serving at church. They're unchurched. What's wrong with them? We need to, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But no, 
do we point to them and say, which one on the cross to the left or right of Jesus are you? Do you continue to mock and spit in his face and, and mock who he actually is and say, well, prove it. Say, prove it. I'm going to test my God. Prove it. Prove who you are. Save yourself and save us too. Come on, prove it. Let's let's go, God. What are you doing? What, what do you think you're doing? You, you really are who you are? I need you to perform how I want you to perform. I need you to perform how I want you to perform. I don't want to go through the way that you want me to go through. No, if you don't perform the way I want you to perform, you're no God at all. How many have heard something like that out of people? If, if God is really God, why, why doesn't he perform the way I want him to perform? That's ultimately a lot of people's heart and idea. Or is it no? God will never perform the way you want him to perform. He's not a genie. God performs the way he wholly and majestically and perfectly does in his way because his way is better than our ways. Lord, we deserve to die for our crimes, but you have done nothing wrong. Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Surely I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Lord, I can't wait to hear those words. Come and be in my paradise. He continues to teach us. And, and the biggest thing here is what makes this so wonderful is that this wasn't done to Jesus. Uh, this is some theology we have to understand. And this is very, very serious. We need to know that, number one, Jesus, did this did not happen to him. Yes, somebody nailed him to a cross. Yes, he was beaten. Yes, all of this in a physical sense. Like people had to do it to him. But understand, John 10 uh, verse 18, no man takes it from me, talking about his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay my life down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. Listen, Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, up until here, Jesus, when he was, when people wanted to grab him, when people wanted to take him away, when people wanted to, and he had many, many times, and he even at the garden, when they come and get him, he's like, why didn't you come get me when I was in the temple? Why you got to do it now? Are you crazy? You, he lays his life down. No one takes it from him. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again, in which he does this command I have um, received from my father. Understand theologically that Jesus laid his life down. That's why he was so quiet in his um, defense and to Pontius Pilate. He speaks a little bit in John, but still, ultimately, he's very quiet about himself. He has he's not giving any defense because he is allowing this to play out purposefully. He is laying his life down. Yes, 
Could he have slipped out of this? Could he have gotten away in the Garden of Gethsemane? Could some? Could he have let Peter just start cutting ears off of everybody, you know, and all of that? Could he have done? Absolutely. But Jesus is laying his life down. He knows what he's doing. He's allowing this to happen. And again, and as he says, and I have the power to take it again. Jesus was in full control of the situation through his entire death and his entire resurrection. This was not, well, woe is Jesus because he's a victim. This is Jesus saying, I love you so much. I'm laying it down. I'm choosing this. I'm saying yes to the will of my father. We see this in his prayer in the garden. Lord, if this could, if any other way we could do this, if, we, if you got it, if you got to play a B, bro, let's do it. Let's go play a B. Let, you know, we could do another way, but hey. If, if it's plan A or nothing, if it's if it is your will, Father, your will be done. And God's only got plan A. God's will is it. We can make up plan B and C and D and E and whatever that appeases our feelings. But God has only one plan and it's his will. And Jesus teaching us to succumb to his will. And Jesus saying, yep, let's go. I'm going to lay my life down. But also, I have the power to take it again. If that's not proclaiming he's God... I don't know what else is. Always a crazy idea that some people are like, you never proclaimed to be God. <laughs> you apparently aren't reading. And we see that there's some things that happen. I, I always love the idea of this thought of the curtain in the uh, temple. This is the main one that would be into the Holy of Holies and um, where God's ultimate presence would be with the Ark of the Covenant back there. Now, at this point, they had, they had lost the Ark of the Covenant, but they still held that area to be very, very precious at which God's presence was still ultimately there. That was the purpose of that back room in the temple was God's still, this was still God's home. This was where his ultimate uh, central location of his presence would be. And so ultimately, with this being the end of that, that curtain tears, not from the bottom up. And this thing is potentially 20, 25 feet in the air, high up. There's... <laughs> 
two guys ain't getting up there on a ladder and just going to hey, let's rip this. Like, it's not happening. This thing is inches and inches thick. This is a serious, no-joke curtain. And it is ripped from the top down. Opening up that God's presence will be not contained in a box and not contained in a room, but spread out. And as we talk about Pentecost later on and going into where just the Holy Spirit then and decides, I am going to, instead of embodying myself in a room and in a box, I'm going to embody myself in the hearts of my believers. But here, this miraculous sign happened where darkness fell. Um, and if you read it out of, uh, like the New King James, it said it happened from uh, from six till nine. In the sixth hour to the ninth hour. So this is about three hours long that this went completely dark. Um, you know, it, that it was like at night. And so uh, if that happens, that's not a central event. Right. That's not like that just doesn't happen over a city and nowhere else experiences that. Right. Like if. The, the sun stops shining, we going to get reports in other states. We're going to get reports of that across half the world because the sun shines on half the world all the time, right? So guess what? There are collaboration of this. And people didn't know what to think of it. So they were like, oh, it's like a, an eclipse or something. And that's what happened. So we have um, uh, Thalius. It was an um, ancient historian. Then um, you also have a, a handful of others, but he was one of the bigger ones that really brought this up. And he wrote in 52 AD, um, it says, when the Bible uh, says that the earth went dark during the crucifixion of Jesus, you would think that somebody else would notice this. Indeed, I'm reading out of an article, and this is part of, uh, they interviewed Lee Strobel that did the uh, book, The Case for Christ, where he did all of this. And uh, he said, indeed, Thalius, um, who was a historian who wrote a, a history of the Eastern Mediterranean world in about 52 A.D., um, so not very many years after Jesus' death within a lifetime, right? Jesus died in 33 AD. He mentions this darkness. We know that Thalius wrote about the darkness because Julius Africanus, another theologian, also remembers the work that he did uh, in the year uh, 222, comments on what Thalius wrote, uh, reporting that the darkness and says that Thalius attributed to an eclipse. Um but he had some reservations with like, he's like, look, you think it's an eclipse, but an eclipse lasts like maximum five minutes. Most of the time, it's a minute to three minutes. Like they're talking hour. This is a serious amount of time versus a couple minutes. Um, and that's where like the eclipse is not, not a worthy, realistic explanation uh, of this event. And that this is a miraculous event and sign other than a coincidental eclipse. And the, he didn't, Thalius didn't even write 
how long the eclipse was. He just, I'm guessing that this was an eclipse. Like they didn't know what to think of it, right? They they didn't know what, like, why on earth in the middle of the day? You think about it, like two in the afternoon, basically, and it just goes really dark, like darker than say a thunderstorm coming in, and it just goes dark. It, it, there's also it talks about an earthquake. An earthquake happened at that time. There's actually a geologist that went out to find, is there evidence of an earthquake in and around that time period? Now, and guess what? There is. Now, they can't put an earthquake to like April 9th, 33 AD. Like they can't do that. That's Geology doesn't really work that way. Um, but they can look back and go, yeah, this is definitely an earthquake in Jerusalem area around the first century. And there's not like multiple earthquakes in the first century. They're like this, and there's not many earthquakes that happen in that area. It's not a major geological fault line. It's not like this is California or something. And so they're like, oh, yeah, that's that's an unusual event. Uh, in ancient geology or ge ge whatever the the right scientific term for uh for looking at all of that and this actually happened and there's evidence and god leaves us evidence to have solid faith that jesus died for your sins and rose to new life on that third day so as we go ahead and close out here this morning, I want you to think about that. Think about those two sinners left and right of him and one continuously wanting to mock him and, and challenge him to be a genie for him. If he's so good, if that God is so good, he'll get us off this cross. And the other guy saying, no, I recognize who you really are. And I recognize that I deserve this punishment. Forgive me, God. And remember me when you go to your kingdom. For you did not deserve this. But I do. But I do. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We just... We, we, sometimes this is a lot for us to even wrap our heads around. Even those that, even all of us that have been following you for a long time, that have studied you, studied your word, there's still just like an awe in this, no matter how many times we read it, no matter how many times we dive into it, there's just an awe to it all. There's a, there's just a heart splitting part in this. Or maybe we just never lose sight of the, amazingness of our salvation through you because you laid your life down and you took it again on that third day Lord, we just as we come into this um this time of remembrance this time of recognition this time of uh joy as well lord because it is 
It is a victory that you have won and that we get to benefit from and being a part of your kingdom. Lord, may we just, may we celebrate this weekend. May we thank you for what you've done. May we just come with reverence for who you are. As we come into services this weekend, may we bring friends and family. May we tell them of the truth of who you are as well. May this be a time where your church just grows even more. May this be a time where more just come to understand the life-savingness of who you are. God, we love you so much. We thank you for even all of the miraculous amounts of evidence that point to the truth of who you are as well. May we not be doubting Thomas's, but may we just praise your name and thank you for what you've done. And just tell others about the life change in which you've been a part of in our life. We thank you and we love you. And we pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Y'all have a great Thursday. Again, we can't wait to see you for a good Friday tomorrow and Easter services Saturday and Sunday. Um, we love you all. Take care. God bless and happy Easter.